this week on Nonprofit News Feed for the week of November 8th. We have got some infrastructure news, some COP26 news. Nick, I'm excited to get into it. Uh, let's kick it off. Sure, I'm excited. Let's start off first and foremost with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the BIF has passed uh, in a series of dramatic political events, uh, (laughs) apparently last Friday. Um, The bill has passed and been signed into law. And this $1 trillion bipartisan bill um, will be one of the most significant investments in infrastructure in U.S. history. This is a major landmark piece of legislation. Um, And the bill includes provisions uh, of note on the nonprofit angle for religious and nonprofit organizations to update the sustainability of their spaces and buildings, actually, rep- according to uh, great reporting by the Israeli outlet Haaretz. Um, and the quote is that Nonprofit Energy Efficiency Act in the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill um, fixes sustainability problems by providing critical funds for nonprofits to upgrade decades-old buildings with inefficient heating and cooling systems while lowering energy costs and reducing their environmental impact. And that's according to the Senior Vice President for Public Affairs at the Jewish, Jewish Federations of North America. So it would appear that this bill, which provided landmark investment in sustainability and clean energy and climate resilience uh, of note also as a part of that included an act or a designated portion that was going to go to nonprofits to help them uh, bring their physical infrastructure into the next century. In this case, it looks like it was kind of geared towards um, religious and social service nonprofits. But I think this is awesome. And just like hearing more about the bill, the more I learn about it, I think the cooler it is and that this is the most significant investment in climate resiliency ever. And it's a huge step forward. It checks a lot of boxes for me as well. They're saying it's about 50 million and it's going to be overseen by the Department of Energy. So if you have any friends over in the DOE, now would be the time to ring the bell. And it looks like each uh, each grant will be up to 200k if i'm looking at this correctly as of right now and again the great thing about improving energy efficiency of buildings is that by the way that's a dividend that will pay both to the environment but also to the energy costs of the building itself so i would put this on the radar of anybody on your grant making team to to keep an eye on it because one thing i can tell you is 50 million may sound like a big number, except when you remember there's like 1.8 million nonprofits. Uh, X number have actual buildings and uh, potential uses of this. So I would uh, I would make sure you queue up and, and keep an eye on it because it doesn't seem like it's just restricted to one uh, one particular audience. And we, we found this in, um, uh, again, a, a newspaper that has happens to be um, – talking about religious nonprofits, but it's it's open to nonprofit buildings uh, as far as we can read. So queue up, keep in mind, and we'll uh, we'll obviously try to continue to look for, we're going with BIF, BIF funding. <laughs> Let's go with BIF. They need better branding. The BBB, the BIF. Oh, man. The BIF. All righty. Love it. All right. What else do we have? Sure. So pivoting back to Glasgow, actually, uh, some exciting news um, coming out. This is uh, based on a press release from the Ford Foundation, but a multi-government and 
private foundation coalition has announced $1.6 billion in support of indigenous people and to tackle climate change in the form of fighting deforestation. And the governments involved in this partnership include the UK, Germany, Norway, the United States, and the Netherlands. And they've teamed up with a bunch of private foundations, including uh, Ford Foundation, Bloomberg Philanthropies, a lot of your, your heavy hitters there. And they're pledging $1.6 billion to support indigenous communities. Um, and this was announced in conjunction uh, at the COP26 climate summit. Now, something that's really interesting is that deforestation, you may have heard, has been a, kind of a hot topic there. Um, we're talking about um, both protecting our forests, but also, um, you know, decreasing the amount of CO2 in the air. And um, it's, it's a kind of a, a multifaceted issue. But as it turns out, um, the quote from this press release is that indigenous peoples and local communities manage half of the world's land and care for an astonishing 80% of Earth's biodiversity. So the argument here is that indigenous communities, in many ways more so than almost any other community, are better equipped and better located to actually contribute most meaningfully on the front lines to fighting deforestation. And we've seen that in places like Brazil, where it's indigenous communities fighting back, um, protecting the Amazon and in many other places. And I think this is really cool and notable. One, because I can't really remember um, such a sizable investment in indigenous communities um, coming out of one of these summits, but also just the recognition that it's ultimately it's local groups and people that are going to get this done. It's in some ways, it's a very top down grant, right? <laughs> Big governments, massive foundations, but they're investing in local stakeholders. And to me, that's, uh, that's investing in climate resiliency done right. So this is really exciting. I'm excited to see the uh, results of this and the, the impact of this. But I thought this was a really cool um, facet. Yeah, sort of great framing there, top down, yet thinking bottom up and really a monumental shift, I'd say, in terms of the way we deploy uh, environmental uh, in, environmental investment, which traditionally has, I'll, I'll say this, as a, as a broad rule, but could be backed with, with quick research, frankly, uh, has ignored indigenous people and the people that actually live on the land. And, you know, talking about elements and narratives around conservation versus preservation, it's very clear. And it's a great stat that 80% of the biodiversity, half of the roughly land, and even if they're off by 10%, it's still a tremendous amount uh, of, of land that is crucial. And when we talk about climate change and the ability to uh, continue to, to capture carbon and keep carbon in, in the earth rather than in the atmosphere. Absolutely. I can now move ahead to our next story. And this one is about a nonprofit that's uh, trying to bridge the new digital divide. So something we've talked about on the podcast before is the haves and have nots when it comes to internet access, and it's particularly acute in uh, poor communities and rural communities. But um, this article from Axios outlines a national nonprofit called Education Superhighway. Um, 
It's backed by a bunch of uh, Silicon Valley types, but it's investing in America's quote unquote most underconnected communities uh, within those communities in particular, providing free Wi-Fi to underserved apartment complexes. So this organization said um, to begin, it will work with Oakland, California to deploy free Wi-Fi in 127 buildings um, by using the city's new Wi-Fi network at a cost of less than $100 per month. Um, to the landlord. So I think that this um, going on the theme of infrastructure <laughs> is is really cool and recognizes now that more than ever, um, internet access is in many ways a practically a, a, a basic right in this country in the sense that it's really, really hard to survive American life without internet access and recognizing that there are still communities, even, even in New York City, there are still people who don't have internet access. Um, so uh, I think it's really cool to see an innovative organization um, thinking big picture to try to bridge that divide. I think we crossed over the threshold of nice to necessary and starting to use the word right when conferring to Wi-Fi as soon as we asked America's public schools to work remotely. As soon as you made the home, no matter where that is, the home, the center of education, the center of work for people able to work remotely. We crossed over into, yeah, I need water, I need electricity, and I need Wi-Fi because that is now how I'm connected. And so it's it's great to see this investment. I really wish it was happening even earlier, but this is the type of thing you need where you're looking at um, a lot of these buildings, they have different stats in America's most unconnected communities saying that up to 25% are without broadband live in uh, apartment buildings, uh, according to this report. And uh, what's, what's nice is that if you can deploy for an entire apartment building, you actually have um, provided service for, for quite a number of people that, you know, uh, that is becoming more of a right, I'd say. And it's interesting to see this turn into this investment. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I have I have no good transition from that story to this story, but this is a fun one, George. Uh, so it turns out that Elon Musk and the United Nations World Food Program are in a little bit of a a little bit of a riff. Uh, maybe you can ex- explain this story better than I can. Um, but it, the I think the gist of it is that the UN World Food Program, of course, um, one of the many. Uh, organizations within the auspices of the United Nations system uh, at COP26 said, we need much more money to solve world hunger. And then Elon Musk, somewhat teasingly, condescendingly, but also maybe helpfully suggested, I will donate $6 billion to solve world hunger and you can prove it. So I don't know what thread you want to take with this one, George, uh, but kind of an interesting little, uh, little public spat about how and whether we can solve world hunger? The, the loose history here is the article that the World Food Program put out kind of threw, uh, threw stones at billionaires in particular, you know, kind of non-direct directly uh, at Musk saying like, all we need is a billionaire to like give $6 billion and we can solve, and here's where we hang on something that triggered some people, solve world hunger. $6 billion solves world hunger. How dare you not write this check? So just pausing on different elements of the story, there is a framing here that essentially hurts the cause. $6 billion is not going to solve world hunger. It's not because there is a complicated 
series of last mile problems, of distribution problems, of governance, of uh, frankly, security questions. And, and simply saying, you know, give us this money and you'll solve this problem is incorrect because guess what happens the next year and the next year after that? You're, you're not looking at the system as a whole. And frankly, you're an incomplete narrative of what the work actually looks like. And you, and you don't do the cause a service by doing it. And so I think Musk in his very dumb sort of brutish way kind of picks this fight, but also possibly legitimately may end up giving some amount of money says in this, you know, on Twitter saying, explain to me how this $6 billion here itemized will solve world hunger kind of calling this out because he felt called out. And also he never shies away from picking fights with anything, be it a Dogecoin competitor or a another space billionaire. But I wanted to pull this out simply because it is a narrative that a lot of people are paying attention to. And it's interesting when you are framing your large donation asks, your high net worth individuals, how you're framing how the world will be different as a result of your work, your capital campaigns. And some of this narrative that I think, you know, I'll be honest, I, I feel as though the UN World Fruit Food Program kind of stepped in by making this sort of aggressive claim on solving world hunger with $6 billion, which is frankly, you can see through it quickly. And, and you know, it, it's, it's a narrative to follow and pay attention to how, how the public, how the media, and how even your own audience uh, is sort of jumping on one side or the other. Um, and you can, you can pick a fight with whoever you want. Our capacity to be offended knows no bounds. That was really well said. I won't. I won't try to try to top that. I'll go right to the next story. Uh, and this one, speaking of billionaires, this one is about Jeff Bezos, who's pledged two billion towards an international deforestation effort. Um, this appears to be separate from the one that we previously discussed involving the Ford Foundation and and other governments. Yeah, and the project is called the High Ambition Coalition for Nature and People. It's a, a multi-country effort um, to to end deforestation. Yeah, another kind of along the theme of, of deforestation. And this is uh, within the, the auspices of a climate change fund that he supposedly started last year called the Bezos Earth Fund. And and uh, talking to reporters, he was saying that how going to space uh, changed him and uh, the lens through which he saw the world. Sounds good to me. Sure. Yeah, I, feel like, I feel like I'm so billionaire oriented on this. Um, however... Uh, this is more indicative of what I think we're going to see is a larger trend with space tourism and a doubling down on the environment and the fragility of Earth and our ecosystem. When you see it as a little blue marble, it's something that astronauts have talked about for decades saying you just realize how small, how delicate, how necessary it is to invest, significantly invest in uh, in climate, in forest, and uh, we're seeing it with Bezos. But guess what? As the number of, frankly, I'll just go at it, drive the truck at it, it's the number of billionaires who just pay to go to space for a joyride, come back. A positive externality may be a significant increase in the amount of donations coming toward uh, protecting our natural resources. So I, I, you know, what I think is funny here is the, 
how dare we send people to space? It's such a waste of money to do this. But if it's changing the minds of, frankly, the people that hold the purse strings on the most amount of money and capital, it's an interesting externality, I think. I agree. It's kind of an, an interesting an interesting narrative. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I'm, I'm one of those people where I want to see the impact. I want to see, I want to see an impact report. You know, I want to, I want that, I want this to be accountable. We've seen, you know, so many billions of dollars getting thrown around. It's like, okay, I'm ready, ready for the impact. I patiently await, but important nonetheless. All right. Our next story is from a Hoel partner called The Giving Block. And this is the title of the story is called hashtag NFT Tuesday. The Giving Block, for those who don't know, are the leader in crypto donations for nonprofit organizations. Um, and they have partnered with NFT marketplaces, artists, studios, and projects to celebrate this year's generosity with a whole host of, of different kind of services um, uh, to try to make Crypto Giving Tuesday a thing. So just wanted to throw this in here and, and highlight this. It's a cool organization if you're not already familiar. And uh, yeah, anything else to add, George? You know me. Any excuse to talk about NFTs and social impact, I take I take the bait. Um, no, I like I like seeing uh, working around Giving Tuesday. We're going to come out with more content, of course, around uh, Giving Tuesday. Any anybody trying to increase the amount of awareness and investment from various pools of capital is is time well spent. Uh, and I like creating these sort of ongoing traditions, especially because I think NFTs are going to be here for quite some time. I agree. All right. Our last story is a feel-good story, and this comes from local NBC affiliate WITN out of Greenville, North Carolina. And the story is that amid labor shortages across the country, of course, all sorts of shortages in our economy, it seems, but um, a innovative nonprofit um, in Eastern Carolina has partnered with some other organizations to provide job opportunities to people who are formerly incarcerated or have previous convictions. And the program works um, by appointing folks um, who previously had experience with the criminal justice system with legal counsel, volunteers, and then they expunge their record and they help them get jobs. I think this is a phenomenal program. We have uh, really failed people with previous criminal records in this country for too long to both their and society's overall kind of harm, you know, like the we've this is not <laughs> criminal justice in this country does not have a good track record of success. And it's programs like this that can help turn it around. So really exciting, innovative work to see helping people get back up on their feet, contribute to society. Uh, I'm sure that recidivism here, it will decrease. Um, so I, I, this is a cool program. And just wanted to highlight uh, a, a cool program from a a local community, in this case, Eastern Carolina. Yeah, and you know it's important to note, in in large part, as in California, where I'm calling from, here is that they actually have you know a full proposition sixty four, which says that, frankly, for certain marijuana related convictions, like you can get those sealed and destroyed. Uh, like that's like clean slating you, but you need to have this type of legal support. So. You know, I love seeing the the stories of uh, this pro bono work and then these nonprofits working in that vein because it's uh, it's not like going online and clicking twice and being like ah solved. Um, it's a process. You need legal support, so 
thank you to the lawyers out there dedicating their time to those types of causes. It's awesome. I actually had one more quick shout out here coming from our resources, but there is a uh, upcoming Facebook logout and it's being organized by PlanetWork. And basically it's coming up on November 12th. You can find it in our resources. We'll have it in the show notes and it's a half day on conference for technologists who are figuring out alternatives to Facebook and policymakers with ideas to, to fix it and regulate it. And, and look for uh, solutions due to, and I'm quoting from the event, Facebook's central and toxic role in civic life. So that's November 12th, uh, noon to 5 p.m. Eastern. And it's hashtag the Facebook logout. So kind of interesting event to take a look at. All right, that's all I have for you. As always, nonprofitnewsfeed.com is where you can find links and the free email that we put together for you every week. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks, as always, to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 